So we are continuing with a series, A New Kind of King. And um, before I start with that series, I just um, thank you, Sue, for leading us in that time of prayer. And thank you also for praying for Ruth and the team. Um, Ruth has recovered, and uh, she's been very happily distributing shoeboxes yesterday, and they have got another distribution today, and hopefully on their way back uh, tomorrow. Also, Johnny Hurst has uh, joined her with two guys from his church. So the team is a very small team, but the, the wood boxes are being distributed to the point that we had 69 shoe boxes left over. So uh, it's great. And I, I spoke with another pastor who's been nagging me for the last six months uh, whether they could be part of, you know, the distribution and stuff. So I said, I've got, I said, how many do you need? He said, 70. <laughs> so, so 69 is not, it's, it's great. So uh, they might have some more, I don't know. But I think one thing that has been very interesting this year is that normally people get more uh, because they, they see the potential in them. And this year they've been very realistic in saying, I want this many because we want to distribute. So I think it's been very good to see that kind of attitude as well, that to give others an opportunity to uh, be um, sharing with the wee boxes. And also, 2,000 pounds were raised just for the food parcels, so a lot of churches are distributing uh, that among themselves as well to bless families, not necessarily the ones that are impacted by the earthquake, but that's part of the equation now. So I'm very grateful, once again, for your support. When Ruth and Amelia come, we'll give them a chance as well to share about the, the shoe boxes. Um, so, yeah, thank you for your prayers and your support this week. Um, as I've looked after the two girls, I can't wait for Ruth to come home. <laughs> Normally, we go for five days. What did I do to tell her, you can go for one week, darling, it's okay. <laughs> yes, so we, 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 we made it on time to church today. And uh, to my surprise, Gloriana destroyed all my Christmas anticipation because she said, you've got a snowflake and a reindeer on your top. Where do they fit with the story of Christmas? <laughs> I said, Gorana, we need to go to church, darling. Don't press any buttons. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Richard, for reminding us of that great anticipation, that Advent, that three-way coming. And as a church... We've been going on this journey, experiencing this new kind of king. And um, it's, been, it's been great. Uh, I th I, yeah, it's been good to, to, to engage with it within a different way. Um, so we've been talking about a king without a castle. We've been talking about God Almighty, but yet he was not forceful, a king without power. And last Sunday we talked a little bit about a king without borders. Um, 
Today we're going to be thinking a little bit about a king without riches. And what we mean by that is that idea that actually, although God is God Almighty, and actually he is the richest person, the richest, you know, ever, still he did not use that as something that he could build his ministry upon. We're going to be thinking about why is riches important to kings. So if you open your Bibles with me in 1 King chapter 10, we see the appointment of Solomon, King Solomon, and with, with his wisdom, he was the wisest king that he lived on earth. But there is, a, there is an attitude here that actually this sense of approval and in 1 Kings chapter 10, we've got a special visit coming from a queen who was not convinced that Solomon was as easy as, sorry, as wise as, as they made him to be. So 1 Kings chapter 10, we've got a queen who is coming to visit him, and it's the queen of Sheba. And she, she comes to, to visit Solomon, and she comes also with that kind of sign of her riches and her abundance and what, what her identity is. Let's, let's look at some of the stuff that I, I, what I mean by that. So, when the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relation to the name of the Lord, she came to test him with some hard questions. So she brought two things. She brought a test and she brought gifts as a part of her identity. We're not going to be talking about the questions or the way that Solomon dealt wisely. We're going to talk a little bit more about what it meant to be a rich king. So, arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan, with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. And then um, Solomon answered all her questions and then laid a banquet for her and with all the officials and everything like that. And then after that, uh, in verse... Five, we, say, we see that she was really overwhelmed by this. She said to the king, the report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I, not, I did not believe these things until I came and saw you with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth, you have far exceeded the report I heard. So then, verse 10 says, she gave the king... 120 talents of gold, large quantity of spices, and precious stones. Never again were so many spices brought in as those the Queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And then um, Hiram's ships brought gold from Ophir, where there they brought great cargoes of almond woods and precious stone. The king used the almond woods to make supports for the temple of the Lord and for the royal palace, and to make harps and lyres for the musicians, 
So much almond wood has never been imported or seen since that day. So, in one sense, it shows the, the kind of how, how rich this Queen of Sheba was in order to, to, to be bringing these things just as a reward to Solomon. But also, we know from the Book of Kings and the other Jewish history that King Solomon as well was very wealthy. And, and in one sense, it gives us a glimpse of the expectations of the people. So when the Jewish people were expecting for a Messiah, Jesus was bringing a kingdom that was really not what they expected. Because they were used to this kind of status quo, they wanted somebody to deliver them. And if he was going to come and deliver them, he was going to come and deliver them with all the power and all the identity and all the wealth that came as part of that. And yet, when Jesus comes, he is not meeting the expectations of the people. He is coming as king, but not what people expected. That's why we've got the, the walking into Jerusalem when people are laying down their clothes and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, because they still wanted this Messiah to deliver them. And yet, Jesus is bringing a different kind of kingdom. In John 1, Helen reminded us in the beginning of the service that the Word became a man and lived among us. We saw His divine greatness, the greatness that belongs to the only Son of the Father. The Word was full of grace and truth. The world was already in the world. Sorry, the Word was already in the world. The world was made through Him, but the world did not know Him. He came to the world that was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But some did accept him, and for those who accepted him, he gave them the right to become children of God. So this, this kind of kingdom is really bizarre. Because he's got a king. Yes, he is the most powerful God Almighty on earth, and yet still he does not use that. He, th this kingdom has got, has got power, has got this ministry, as I said last Sunday, that works in between the borders and stuff, and is full of its riches, but not what we, what we expected to be. Do you remember that, that there was that time when somebody came to Jesus and he said, Lord, I, I want to follow you. And Jesus says, foxes, have holes, but the Son of Man has not got somewhere to lay his head. And this is God on earth. The Son of Man has no place to put on his head. How, how contradictive is this to, to, to people who, who are expecting this king who's going to come and sort them out? One thing that's it's very interesting about Jesus' ministry is that he not only is talking about the kingdom, but he's living out 
the kingdom. He's, he's the only one who's fulfilling the Sermon on the Mount. He's the only one who's fulfilling what this kingdom of heaven looks like. And he's the one who's given that mandate to us. If you open your Bibles with me in Luke chapter 18, we're going to be uh, looking at a very familiar story of the rich young ruler. Luke chapter 18, um, we read it this week, verses 18 onwards, 18 to 30. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit the eternal life? Why do you call me good, said Jesus? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments? Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And the young ruler replies all this i have kept since i was a boy he said and jesus heard this and he said to him you still lack one thing sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have a treasure in heaven then come and follow me luke's comment is when he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Peter said to him, we have left all we had to follow you. And I tell you the truth, said Jesus, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and the age to come eternal life. May God's name be blessed through the public reading of his word. Amen. So, a tough story to read. Tough story to, to digest. I come often to this story to, to check my motivations um, about things that I possess, about things that I'm very precious about, things that are part of my identity. I was talking to somebody yesterday, um, actually it was a neighbor, and uh, we're talking about uh, lifestyles, we're talking about things that we, choices that we have made in order to be where we are, and um, he, he was expressing very honestly, he's saying that it's gone beyond our capacity, and we cannot handle it anymore. It's we've built up our lives around mortgages and around lifestyles that is really impacting us. Um, I was talking to another person this week as well, part of the congregation, and we were having this kind of conversation about that, what does this mean for us? Um, we 
are part of an affluent area. We, we live and we're part of an affluent church. What does this mean for us? And how does the modeling of Jesus for this kingdom of heaven, which was not as people expected to, how does that reflect in our daily discipleship? So here we've got this young ruler. In, in all his capacity, he's ticking all the boxes. Jesus is talking about the commandments. He's mentioned the seventh, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, and the fifth commandment. And this young ruler is saying, I've ticked all the, boys, the boxes since I was a young boy. And then Jesus challenges him to something that he was really, really close to his heart. It was his wealth. And then the whole story changes. And I just, I, I'm very conscious of the fact that actually it is, it is true that, that um, we, we are part of a community which is affluent and which is well-to-do and rich. And perhaps we're not on the same level as other churches in Bristol or other parts of Britain. But, but what, where does the kingdom of God challenge us in this? And how does the kingdom of God becomes true? So, so instead of asking the question of that song that Richard said, what can I give him, poor as I am? I want to change that and say, what can I give him, rich as I am? I've shared this before, but um, to, to my surprise... When, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, give, me, give us today our daily bread. I've shared this a few times, and I'm, I'm still humbled by it because it, it's a great reminder how the perception and my understanding of that prayer has changed by living in the UK and by comparing it to my life in Albania. And, and when, when Jesus is challenging the rich young ruler about the riches, he's talking, to some, he's talking about something that has to do very close with something that he is attached to. So I there ask the question, what am I attached to? And if we're saying, come and come, Emmanuel, and you have my heart, Am I prepared that part of that offering I give also the thing that I am most attached to? The queen of Sheba was identified by her riches. King Solomon was identified by her riches. Let's not go down the route of uh, pressing the buttons here of what we think of the royal family, but they're identified by their riches. And where does the kingdom of God, this king that brings things upside down, challenges this identity? The 
The rich young ruler was defined by his riches. And Jesus says, you have to give that up. And this saddened this young ruler. We don't know the story of what happens. We, we, we just, I've, I've been in, in circles of conversations that people have said, oh, what a shame, he's just lost. Um, and he, he'd never come back to Jesus. I want to suggest that perhaps because it was such a big thing that the suggestion was there, and Jesus did not talk about Jesus did not talk about his coming, but he was talking about the whole principle of how difficult it is for rich people, uh, for, for, for people who, to come to the kingdom. But, but I think, I want to suggest that perhaps it needed to have that time for this amazing invitation to be a follower of the kingdom of God, to really take hold of him and to respond. Again, this is only speculation and assumption, but I'd like to think that actually there is an opportunity here for this young, young ruler to be challenged and to say that actually the kingdom is upside down. What are you going to do about that? And although you are saddened because it's, it's challenging you to the thing that you are the closest and attached the most, still there is room for you to give God your heart. And no wonder Jesus said, unless we become like little children. That's the story that I was reading yesterday to my girls. That, that we have to become like little children in order to be part of the kingdom of God. Simple, perhaps naive, perhaps with that, without complexity, and just trust that God knows best. One thing that I wanted to mention here is that when we're talking about the generosity of the king in the light of what God has done for us, I think when we, talk, when we experience generosity or when we do generosity is, well, I'll, I'll share it how I do it, um, and it's not the right way, that I look at the opportunities that are given to me and I see how much I've got left over in the end of the month. And on the basis of that, I give. When you look at the generosity of the kingdom of God, and this is where I really want to reopen this, and I hope Helen doesn't mind if I pull the door here. When we talk about the... When we talk about the generosity of God's kingdom, it's not given to us from God's leftovers. God has given to us the most precious thing to him. God has given to us his son. And in response to that, we say, yes, Lord, thank you for being so generous, so giving, so, so, yeah, beyond my comprehension, so great that you have given to us something that is not just a thing 
It's the most precious thing. For God so loved the world. For God so loved Kensrod. For, lo- for God so loved each and every one of you. That out of the riches and the generosity of the kingdom that he wanted to put here through you, he gave his son, the Lord Jesus. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life, will be part of this kingdom. So at this Advent, we have got a great opportunity to reflect the generosity of the kingdom of God. If you've been challenged, like I have, about our riches, good. Because the gospel is challenging. Um, and I don't say that good in, a, in an arrogant way. I say it in a very humble way because I've been really challenged by it this week as I've been prepared. What does it look for us? Well, it looks very simple. That Jesus is saying to, to, to this young ruler, give it up and pursue the kingdom of God. Give up whatever you're attached to and you're living for. And he's saying, God, I'm prepared to let the kingdom of God come and take over. Is this easy? Apparently not. Obviously not. Is it possible? By God's grace, yes. Is it doable? Yes. Because Christ is still on the throne and he is a different kind of king. And I want to say today, I want to set allegiance with that king. I want us to set allegiance with that king because we know down deep within our hearts this is a king that never lets us down. I'm going to finish with a very precious verse, 2 Corinthians 8, sorry, um, chapter 8, uh, verse 9, book of 2 Corinthians. This is the kind of king that you have and I have. And that's why I want to, to remind us of that allegiance that we have. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is it possible? Yes, it is. Is it doable? Yes, it is. Because of God's grace. That though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. So that's you through his poverty might become rich. This is the king we're invited to serve. This is the king that we're invited to worship. This is the king that we're invited to live our lives for. So, as we anticipate this three-dimensional coming that Richard reminded us. I just want to give us some space, first of all, to say what are the things that we are attached to? And say, Lord, we 
We are so precious to this. And yet we're missing out on the generosity of your kingdom. Come, come, Emmanuel, and rescue, ransom Israel. A king without riches who wants to enrich us by his grace.